Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. There are certain areas in Paris that you should avoid. I've written them down. Dad. Come on, take it. We're going to be spending like 90% of our time in museums. You don't have to worry. That's like telling water not to be wet, sweetie. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Dad! <laughs> All right, listen to me. Oh, God. They're going to take you. Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we're going to be discussing Taken. Starring Liam Neeson, Maggie Grace, Famke Janssen, and Olivier Rabaudin. Directed by Pierre Morel. The specialty of the groups coming out of this area is trafficking in women. Based on uh, what they know about the way these groups operate, our analyst says you have a 96-hour window from the time she was grabbed. To what? To never finding her. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. This is no time for dick measuring. It's Gally in Glasgow. God damn it, Gally. You literally took the exact quote that I was going to say. <laughs> it's different in London. Who's Beyonce? Just kidding. It's Matt in South Korea. I love your dress. Is that silk? Just the way it falls. It must be silk. How it compliments the natural curves of your body. It's Patrick Ew. from London. <laughs> oh, welcome back, gents. Welcome back. And uh, we're doing another impromptu bargain bin. Patrick's choice this time. Yeah. And I'll just quickly I'll just quickly say how this happened. Um I think it was just kind of out of coincidence. Patrick, you were talking about taking for a quiz that you're running uh, sort of weekly, and I saw you do a little video clip which is on Twitter. And then I sat with my fiance and was like, Should we just watch Taken? And we watched it last weekend and then in a drunken haze I decided, right, we're doing Taken next weekend, guys. What do you think? And here we are. I did push for it. This was definitely one I wanted to talk about since we started doing this podcast, actually, because, uh, and this is the latest year I think I'd go, um, considering our kind of rules that we'd like to do throwbacks. Oh, well, I'll start with you, Matt. Did you did you see this one in the cinema? When, when did you catch Taken, if you ever did? Well, yeah, I didn't. Prior to this podcast, I hadn't seen it front to back. Uh, I'd seen... Gogglebox highlights, believe it or not, and the phone scene, <laughs> uh, you know, the iconic kind of uh, the phone scene that they quote on uh, the trip with uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Uh, so I kind of knew it from that. Uh, the Gogglebox Goggle thing was kind of interesting. It might sound daft, but it was kind of a fitting way to see it through the eyes of other people who actually enjoy stuff like this, because I'd, I'd never usually seek out a film like Taken. Uh, I'm not really a transporter guy. I'm not a Statham uh, action era guy. Uh, I've only seen one Statham film and uh, where he plays an action hero and he played a guy called Chev Chelios. Uh, <laughs> I think it was called Crank. Yeah, Crank. So, uh, I, I liked him in the first two Guy Ritchie films, but didn't really get into that thing. So Luke Besson and the transporter team didn't really draw me in. I'm not really a born guy. I am a Bond guy. I'm writing a thing on Roger Moore at the moment. So some of the things I'll say today are probably a bit uh, hypocritical because a lot of the problems, if there are problems, with Taken appear in Bond too. So I have to be a bit careful. I'm not really a Jack Bauer guy or uh, I like some of the Mission Impossible stuff, but it's really not a film I, I was really drawn to. So I just kind of uh, found it almost accidentally. Uh, how about you, Gully? Yeah, I uh, and this kind of gets to the crux of one of the questions that, 
I think I might ask throughout the episode. If not, we will definitely try and nail it by the end of our discussion. Is that I remember at university, this came out, 2008, and everyone I know outside of our little film school circle kept telling me, you've got to go and see Taken. Honestly, one of the best films I've ever seen. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. That is what people used to say. And then the weekend just gone, my fiance's mother rung and she was saying how she was sat down with, uh, with her husband and they just watched Taken. And I could overhear her saying, what a fantastic film it is. So it's still enduring. And I guess one of the things that I want to know is why do people love this film? I, and 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 so I saw it probably. I want to say I think I saw it on TV. Like I just avoided it. I, I really did. Um, even though the Neeson factor was strong, and I do love me some Liam Neeson, and I'll talk about that as we go in. Um, but yeah, I kind of avoided this one. I can't remember my first watch of it, but I just remember watching it and thinking, I don't understand why people have got such high regard for this. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's a bit hazy for me. What about you, Devlin? I have basically exactly the same thing, yeah. Uh, I remember it coming out, and I was I was living back in Darlington at that point, and there was a, a, a lad I used to work with back when I used to have um, a very specific and weird job, which I won't go into here. One of these days, maybe I'll get into it. Um, and there was a lad I used to... We, it, we worked in a place where you couldn't have internet access because it was serious government business. <laughs> um, Are you telling us you're Brian Mills? Yeah, yes. no, yeah. Just a scrawny, undersized, <laughs> asthmatic Brian Mills. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, uh, uh, so in this building, we used to have to entertain ourselves by whatever means we could think of. And one of them was just talking shit all day. And this one lad would, would say that, you know, he'd seen taken and he would do the quotes from it. And he said, it's really good. And he specifically said, I reckon you'd really like it, Dev. And I thought, I don't, I don't think we know each other that well if this is <laughs> it's like the time I used to work um in another place and uh, a girl I worked with said that she'd she'd heard of this this great new musician and that she thought I'd really be into it and it turned out it was Ed Sheeran, Ed Sheeran. and she said it <laughs> and she said it because he's ginger which <laughs> is tremendously racist <laughs> so, um, so no I, I don't i don't remember watching taken at all i know i've seen it i'm again probably i watched it on telly but yeah same thing all these people would be like oh that's fucking brilliant and and then i watched it and i'm just i'm not this, this film <laughs> so and i've not seen it since so i've seen it once and then uh, uh before the the podcast i struggled to fit it in this week so i had to actually watch it on friday afternoon while pretending to work luckily it is very short so i managed to fit in between about 4 15 and 5 45 on friday night and that that is the sum total of times i've ever seen taken um nice. but uh patrick it would appear that you have a slightly <laughs> deeper connection to this film connection i can't believe i'm talking about this film this man of it yeah i <laughs> i recall uh where i first saw this film it's quite interesting because Gally, I actually remember speaking to you about this at the time in 2009 or whenever it was. <clears throat> and I'd, I'd missed this in the cinema. I came back from working abroad and was quite uh, skint for a lot of the back end of 2008. So I didn't do much, but I was aware of it because I was like Liam Neeson and I did hear certain reviews for it. And along with reviews, my then girlfriend and my brother like thought this film was great. They were like, Oh, it's brilliant. We've got to watch it. And I remember sitting down in Leicester to watch it with both of them, actually. 
and I I just tore it apart. <laughs> I remember like, what is that? Are you serious? Like I was laughing, <laughs> and then I was kind of like in that mode of the first hour of the film or first forty five minutes, first half of the film, kind of like, I can't believe I can't you know in disbelief that they thought it was so good, and then the back end of it. And then we watched it a second time because I was so interested by the film. I needed to watch it again, like a week later, with my brother again. We just started laughing. We started laughing and laughing and laughing along with the film, uh, or at the film. We'll, we'll discuss which one it was. And I and since subsequently, my brother and I have become obsessed with this film. Whenever we, because he lives in Manchester now, whenever we meet up with each other. We always have this moment. We have a few drinks. We like, look at each other like, "Trip it taken on." And <laughs> we'll we'll watch the whole thing at three a.m. and we'll quote it and we'll drink along. We'll laugh along to it. He made me a T-shirt for Christmas with uh, an image of Brian Mills on it, holding the bag with a baguette, and he added a, a French parade <laughs> to the image as well. <laughs> I'll send you a photo of that later. And since the film is certainly, that's it, going to sound weird, like. Devlin, you've only seen it twice. I think I've seen this film about 30 plus times now. <laughs> Jesus. I just keep revisiting it and I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And I, this is why I wanted to speak to you guys about it now. I think then we better just get straight into it, haven't we? Um, so, Patrick, have you got us a... <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say summary. It's probably two lines, but have you got a, got the plot summary for, for Taken? I, I've written on my notes here, uh, in bold red letters, write synopsis. And that's all I got. Um, I kind of wanted to trust myself and my knowledge of this film to just off the cuff it. And I promised Gally on the phone the other day that I'd attempt it in Brian Mills's accent. So, <clears throat> so taken, um, Brian Mills has a very particular set of skills. He has 96 hours to find his daughter <laughs> who's been kidnapped in Paris. Uh, for sex trafficking, will he get her? Will uh, will he tear down Paris and the Eiffel Tower? That's it. <laughs> I think that's I think that's as basic as I could go for the synopsis. Um, I'll do it. This is one of those strange, strange occasions where it, it's almost like a cultural landmark. I think there's there's before taken and there's after taken in the movie landscape that I'm aware of. Because unlike you, Matt, I was a big Jack Bauer 24 fan. Certainly for the first six seasons. I think it was season six when I finally went, yeah, this is starting to become a little bit formulaic. But as far as like the one man on a mission stuff... I was all in, you know, with this one guy who can do everything, mm. but has also got a, a pension for saving his daughter. And Taken, watching it now with kind of like fresh eyes, I mean, it's such a ripoff mm. of Jack Bauer and Kim to the point where his daughter is named Kim. And I was like, they know, they bloody know what they're doing. But one of the things that was really surprising about Taken was Liam Neeson as an action star, right? Like no one would have ever put Liam Neeson in a film like this, an almost like Euro thriller B-movie exploitation film. Hmm. He's Rob Roy. He's Michael Collins. He's Oscar Schindler. He's Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> like, he's, at no point is he... <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not Brian Mills. <laughs> no one no one would believe me as Brian Mills. <laughs> Isn't Brian a odd choice as well for a, a protagonist? I, I love the Shame. name Brian Mills. The ordinary man. <laughs> Brian. 
<laughs> like Life of Brian. They chose Brian as like Christ's new name just to completely tear it down. And they've gone with Brian as a, as a serious action hero name for this one. It just makes me think of um, the landlady from Space. Hello, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it when Holly Valance says Mr. Mills. <laughs> <laughs> General Mills, the flower guy. <laughs> is it still weird watching him do this? Because obviously he's now created his own cottage industry mm. of Liam Neeson action unter de thrillers, uh, where I think he had like five or six in in three or four year span, wasn't there? I mean, yeah. we could list them now. It's like nonstop walk mm. amongst the tombstones. Is that that's yes. one of them? Isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. The Does the unknown. Right? Really, you know what? I actually quite liked Unknown. It's the only one of his other oh. kind of trash that he's made and i thought it it's more of a kind of um like a frantic ripoff yeah mm. it's quite it's quite a wild film like yeah it's have, a you seen, more fun. have you seen the gray the gray is actually oh, yeah. good Ooh, isn't he it? punches yeah. a wolf gray's really yeah, good punch- <laughs> and i really enjoyed the commuter as well but i enjoyed the commuter for the same reasons uh take. it's odd to see him do stuff like this because if you look at schindler's list and uh he, he seemed like a guy that was capable of anything he's a, he's terrifically intelligent i think he's got a great presence and he also has a sense of humor he lampoons himself in life's too short and ted mm-hmm. and if you watch some of his interviews he has a good laugh with whoever he's talking to uh so it's kind of odd to see him in some of these choices it reminded me a little bit of the the nicholas cage paying his taxes mm-hmm. uh genre if if there is one and he, it, he does you know, good strange voice see... work in the Lego movie as well, does Neeson. That, that is true, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's very funny in that. But apparently yeah. in the late early 90s, when they were casting Brosnan for Goldeneye, Liam Neeson turned it down for Bond. And the rumours mm. are, uh, there's two rumours, either his girlfriend, I think it was Jodie Richardson, his partner at the time, said she'd um, she'd separate from him if he if he took the role. Well, or the other one, the most popular rumor is that he said he just wasn't interested in action films. And mm. if that one's true, then, you know, 20 years later, uh, 10, 15 years later, here he is tearing down the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> he would, he would have, I mean, Neeson as a Bond, that would be interesting because obviously Daniel Craig is now attributed as the, the man who, well, until the last two maybe, had kind of brought Bond back into a more serious, uh, character, and I think um, Neeson probably would have done that, but instead, he would Brosnan have done a more Bond. Uh, yeah, because Brosnan kind of towed the line of of sort of almost self parody, and then into just pure parody, wasn't it? By the end, when he was surfing, <laughs> um, but but yeah, that would have been an interesting <laughs> choice. Neeson as Bond. I can't see him running particularly fast in any of these. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a, a scene reminiscent of Under Siege Two: Colon Dark Territory where he's jogging on a bridge in this one and he's pursuing the bloke that gets hit by a truck. And oh, have you ever yeah. seen one of those like, expensive latex masks like of world leaders? You know, like, mm. uh, you can make yourself look like <laughs> Kim Jong-un or whoever. Uh, and it looks like he's wearing a mask of himself. It's really <laughs> odd. Like That's throughout the film, not, not just that scene, uh, but... It's it's very odd and it's quite robotic. I think some of this this performance and he's I don't believe him as Bond. Like there's a scene I think in Goldeneye where he's running along a dam and I just can't picture him kind of doing something like that. He's always he's well, quite. What tall about when he's running after the awkward. car by the sun yeah. at the end? 
Oh, God, yeah, the amount of edits they had to chuck into that one. <laughs> yeah, everything's his friend, I think. It's a lot like Seagal. It was, he was saved by the music and the sound effects, I think, in, in a lot yeah. of this stuff. He's in better shape in this one than he is in Taken 2, though. Like, Taken 2 mm. really suffers with it needing to edit around uh, yeah. a lack of physicality, should we say, in some of the fights. But mm. he gets better in Taken 3. There's a scene in 2. I haven't seen it all. I know you've seen it, Patrick. Maybe you can help me if it's 2 or 3. He has a, a gunfight with the wine section of a, of a <laughs> convenience store at one point. Uh, he just shoots out all the bottles. Uh, he's trying to shoot a guy three, on the I other think. side. I Maybe think it's three. that's 3. But yeah, in 3 also has the infamous 13 edit... Uh, fence jump which oh, is uh. absolutely incredible if you've not seen that <laughs> you need to Liam needs to jumping a fence to about 13 jump cuts it is extraordinary um yeah I, I can't imagine the thing is I can't imagine Liam Neeson going along with it and not turning around and saying what another shot what like what the, <laughs> why the fuck do I need to jump over this fence oh yeah because I I've watched Taken 2 this week in prep but I couldn't go back to Taken 3 because I watched that Oh, it's better than a couple two. of years ago, and um, I I quite enjoyed two because of how stupid it was. Like <laughs> Liam Neeson has throwing his own grenades on internal... <laughs> Well, uh, Patrick, it's not just the throwing grenades into the middle of Istanbul, crashing into it's the, the US embassy. That... Well, it's the fact that Brian Mills <laughs> appears to have his own internal hardware sonar system where he could just triangulate positions through sound, <laughs> which is not possible. Oh. Like it's just not possible. Is Luke Besson's Eurocorp, are they punkiners in this film? Are they in on the joke? I, is this like Liam Neeson's version of Commando, one man on a mission trying <laughs> to save his daughter? Or are they genuinely doing a Denzel Washington man on fire trying to be serious? Because I think depending on where, where you think the film is actually pitching will probably determine whether or not you'll enjoy the film. Because when I watched it the first time, I thought they were trying to make it super serious. Watching it last week, I was like on the fence whether or not they were, they knew how silly and stupid everything is. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. If it just, it, it all plays so sincere yep. mm-hmm. that I think it might just be inept. It's an 18 certificate mm. as well, Gally. Mm. And I think that's an important factor in this conversation. Because I think you've got to go on your first viewing. And if they're going for an 18, they're going for the harder edge. And we'll get to the infamous phone call scene. But that is quite a dark, uh, severe scene that I, I do I do think is quite effective, that scene. And, you know, it's not a light matter, human trafficking. And um, so I, I think this is quite a serious film. Uh, and the director wanted it. So the thing, uh, my theory, one of my theories is that because it's... Uh, uh, Pierre Morel is the director and because English isn't his first language I think we get some of that translation that feels mm. a bit odd and weird dialogue that's quite funny to us because I don't think yeah. he knows how to handle that at all and mm. maybe <laughs> Liam Lisa was just doing a paycheck but uh... here drink an orangina more 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 <laughs> the sugar take the edge off, off more. The <laughs> <laughs> make sure you shake it to wake it <laughs> Oh, no, you know what, Patrick, I mean, that is a that is a great point because there is definitely a little bit of samurai cop in this, isn't there? Where mm. there just appears to be, you know, well, we'll get into all the cliches. We keep talking about how we'll get into it. Shall we just get into it? But before we do, can I just make yeah. one? Let's make one other point, which is that this film was so successful. Like it just it yeah. it blew my mind when I had a look at the figures. Um, 
that this was what made for about twenty million, twenty five million. Forty five made... million, forty five. Oh, was it? For, apologies, forty-five. Forgot about marketing, and <laughs> uh, and it made it made something like what two hundred and twenty, two hundred and fifty, two hundred twenty-seven. That is crazy. That not is including DVD sales because it was a huge film on DVD yeah. as well. Oh yeah, no, I know. I remember. I remember seeing the. Um, in fact, they've re-released it several times, haven't they? The DVD with. With, well, I've um, got the extended harder cut. And... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was harder to understand. <laughs> Part of that trend because I remember Die Hard did it, didn't they? When they did like Die Hard yeah. 4.0, the harder cut, and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Taken Two shot on the same budget made 376 million, and Taken oh, Three just... made 326 off a budget of 55, and they added Forrest Whitaker and um, Dougree Scott in it, and it, you know, like these are very, very popular films that made a shitload of money versus its budget in the cinema. Is Taken as a series? Is it our generation's Death Wish? You know how Death Wish in 1974 became this huge phenomena. They then pumped out several sequels spanning over two decades. Granted, Taken's only had two sequels, but obviously there are loads of imitators. And, and it kind of feels that way, like super simplistic story, man on a, man on a mission, retribution at the heart of it. Everyone gets slain. The film itself is kind of kind of stupid. But I mean, I know me, me and Devlin love the Death Wish films, which is surprising. Well, you know, why you, you seem some, <laughs> yeah, of them, <laughs> some of them, some of them are genuinely horrible. Oh yeah, they're horrible and, films. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking Death Wish three, then yeah, of course. <laughs> well, that's what surprises me that you seem so well appear to be kind of lukewarm on this one when it does feel like a virtually Death Wish esque kind of yeah. cut and dry. Nonsense. Well, so Death Wish is like pretty unpleasant, very unpleasant, and the second one is as well. And then the third one, you can sort of see that's where I'm I'm fine with that sort of action film where um, there's for one thing, um, like you were saying actually, Patrick, that is uh, it, it sort of shocked me how visceral and, and awful the kidnapping sequence is where you have to hear yeah. her screaming on the phone, yeah, like yeah, it yeah. really is. And um, there are there are little things like that that kind of are a bit of a buffer for me, kind of just turning my brain off and enjoying some nonsense. Like Death Wish Three, the stakes aren't as horrible and graphic as they are in the other films, isn't it? It's that his mate has been beat up by bad gang. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. so he goes to this ridiculous neighborhood, which seems to be made out of just fucking rubble, and then he shoots people <laughs> with uh, bazookas. And stuff, yeah, and then pretends to get his camera nicked in the middle of the night so he can shoot a man in the back as he runs away. <laughs> like that kind of shit is just so absurd that you can't help but laugh. I, I think like the more serious the uh, the issues that they try and put around that kind of nonsense, the harder I find it to get on board with it. Um, well, should we should we should we start walking through uh, walking through this here yeah. simplest story? No, let's let's not um, walk through. Let's let's jog through it like Neeson on the sand. <laughs> <laughs> slow plod uh, but with loads of fast edits so we can just jump miss scenes straight up one of the things that i did really appreciate about this film and and it's opening in particular is within one minute you pretty much know everything you need to know and are gonna get to know about brian mills like he is a man who has got ocd very particular very diligent you know and and what i loved and this is where i was like is the film taking the piss 
he goes to these great lengths to buy this karaoke <laughs> machine, which looks like the worst present you could ever buy anyone. <laughs> Let alone your seventeen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it's one. It's the one all the pros are using, Gally. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Including I mean, Gwen then... Stephanie. Gwen <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> I know. Is it? Is this the first indication that this film's got a little bit of an issue with anyone foreign, like the the Asian uh, salesman who's oh, like all the pros use it? Like, what are you talking about? Look at the tap that's in this guy's shop. I love that. Like, so he's, how did he get the instruction manual to read at home obsessively to then go and did he take it from oh, the box? God. Why is he buying his karaoke machine from what looks to be a corner shop? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it's the first of many questions, Stephen. <laughs> but I love that he goes home and it, it, even then the attention to detail of Brian Mills, the way you're wrapping it, you know, mm-hmm. looking along the line, it's all going to be, yes, I'm wrapping. Yes. You know, make it all, he's a man of detail, is Brian. Mills. It's good though, isn't it? It's actually good setup for the character. You know straight away who this person is. Yeah. It, get, it gets hammered home quite a lot as well, doesn't it? When he has the barbecue with his mates, doesn't one of them say, Mr. Attention to Detail over here? And, you know, we... Hmm. we oh, that, those mates, this Patrick, are the worst humans on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of the worst humans on the planet, I I hate Kimmy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bless Kim. Kimmy is a spoiled bitch, man. When we see her in a birthday present. The guy the guy from Seven, he, he blade dildos a prostitute to death. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Leland also. He's in, he's in, yeah. the, he's in the guest. It's an alien that's saving Private Ryan, isn't it? And I thought the friends were very unrealistic. I just didn't buy it at all. He, he no. kind of has a weird line uh, and he, he behaves towards them in an unusual way. He has this line where he says, oh, you're leaving. Goodbye now. <laughs> no one would say goodbye to their friends like that. No. Well, Isn't you know how the um, way they talk to him about his daughter, and they say, "It, that, it, it's." I hate the dialogue's so weird because yeah, they're talking to Mills as though his daughter's his girlfriend or yes. a, new, a new date yes. throughout and throughout the whole first. Like, it's oh, horrible. She's, it's... she's invited you out to lunch. Just the two of you. Right. Oh, you think he hasn't done it already, Mister Attention to Detail? Thank you, Bernie. How's huh. Kimmy? Good. She's good. Yeah? She sleep over yet? Well, let's say we're working on it. Does she appreciate the fact that you've given up your life? In order to be closer to her? <laughs> what a life, huh? Huh. Yeah. It's weird. Again, it's a, it's a weird sexualization of her, just like Under Siege 2. It's all oh, coming yeah. back around. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, has yeah. she slept over yet and things like that? Oh, God, yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's... There's... Um, the, the bit with the horse, you know, she gets the horse and that's a bit like the, the teddy bear, you know, she, he's getting, giving a, well, no, he's giving her the, the karaoke machine yeah. instead of the teddy bear. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like not knowing her uh, anymore. And Gally mentioned earlier, and I think one of our chats about uh, how we're not quite sure how old she is. I think we, we find out she's 17, but she's yeah. playing it much younger. Yeah. Oh way, man. I um, mean, it's the way she runs. Oh, oh it, God. <laughs> so, it's so, weird kind of like elbows out. It's the Phoebe run from Friends. Yeah. It is. It is, Patrick. So watching it last weekend with uh, with Danielle, she she turned on, on Kim and Maggie Grace straight away <laughs> and was like, take her. Just take her now. <laughs> and I was the same. I was just like, what is wrong with you? Like when I found out she was 17, the co- they costumed her. Like she's about eleven, yeah. and then Maggie Grace is running around like she's an eleven-year-old, and she keeps saying like "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy." I'm like, "What the oh, fuck is yeah. this?" 
Well, it's uh, which, she's, she's too old, old man. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, she was twenty five. <laughs> she was twenty five. <laughs> so in this in the story, just a quick plot for the audience is the uh, eventually Lenny Lenore um, is his estranged wife now, who's with Stuart, this rich guy, and Kimmy wants to go on Xander Berkeley, Patrick. Amanda. Let it let it be known that he's continuing his dickhead stepdad uh, <laughs> from, he's two, in 24 from Terminator Two. Uh, yeah, he is in twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Mills eventually is it, does he have to sign some paperwork because she's underage to say she can go to Europe? Yeah, but that mm. scene where he gives her the signed document. And the way she behaves there—that's yeah. where—that's where I want her off. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to take him straight away. I love you, Dad, because now you've signed that. And mm. oh. sorry, my line was the—you uh, know—I'm okay with her liking the hives and dancing around to the hives because I <laughs> did in 2002. But you too. <laughs> what? Seventeen-year-old yeah. listens to you too outside of 1987. The film's message could be like perhaps it's Karma's way of saying don't go and see you too. In yeah. 2007, <laughs> this is what will happen. To you. Well, why weren't they listening to you two when she's dancing in the apartment? Because no one has ever danced to you two. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to <laughs> with the that their fans and they're following a rock band across Europe. Yeah. What? Why? I, anyway, we've skipped ahead. Yeah, but no, but guys, there. you know, don't don't dismiss <laughs> it. Did any of you not? Did any of you not think if you're going to name a band like that? outright yeah. in the first 10 15 minutes of the film that you would either right. expect a you'd either expect a song to be played as part of the soundtrack mm-hmm. or that they would turn mm-hmm. up at the end of something yeah. the fact that they've just randomly plucked you two i was thinking they must be that must be pay off later on nope like, why wouldn't you just pick and just make up a fake band why would you call it you two yeah. again it feels like there's either a lost in translation or are we being punked? I think it's just indicative of the of the kind of stupidity of the whole venture, which is like everything has to be so very broad. Everything has to be the broadest you could possibly imagine. So you have to make sure that we know straight away that Liam Neeson's character, Brian Mills, is a daughter guy. That is his entire construction of his personality. He has a daughter and he's very keen on her. So it's like you have to think of band. And then they probably just went... Who is the most famous band? It's like, well, you could say the Rolling Stones, but they are only 17. That's probably not going to be the case. How about this? I wrote the word shorthand a lot. I kept writing Mm -hmm. the word shorthand, and I think that's maybe responsible for this kind of dichotomy. Is it intentional? Is it not? I don't think it is um, a a spoof or I don't think they're having a laugh or punking us. Uh, I think it's... It's just what happens when you just shorthand everything. You said just a second ago, Chris, about him being lonely. And like, we know he's lonely because he has two Chinese takeaway boxes <laughs> on, his, on his table. <laughs> I, I remember writing something when I was like 16 or 17, like the first thing I ever wrote that kind of fell between the X-Files and uh, Resident Evil. It was kind of a ripoff and it had an alcoholic cop in it and he was estranged from his family. And the, the dialogue I was writing then is very similar to some of the stuff <laughs> here. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure mine was worse, but it, it's very similar. Like everything is expositional and there's a lot of little lazy yeah. shortcuts. And uh, But they do just enough to articulate like the premise and the character and but they don't add anything extra and that's one one of my issues well and, and that's what i was saying before about the the opening being so so efficient it's like brutally efficient you know exactly who these people are you've got this rich 
suburban American kind of privileged uh, family over here with Kim being bought into it. Famke Janssen as Lenore, just sort of, she's the trophy wife kind of figure, but she's also like, just let her be free, Brian. And Xander Berkeley, who again, I thought, right, well, he's got to have some, he's got to have something, some part of this. Like, there, there's no way you position him as this, mm-hmm. like, dickhead rich guy who's got nothing to do with yeah. it. And I think they have a line where it's like, I did a background check on your steward. But that was, that was all it was. <laughs> he's a plot device though, isn't he? Really? Yeah. To take this film because he enables Brian Mills to get to Paris quickly mm-hmm. on a chartered flight, which that, that's, yeah, that, really that's, yeah, that's, that, that was his only real function. And also to yeah. be, I, I suppose, cause he, how is he a dickhead other than he bought her a horse over he's, a carrier? Can he's assume? wealthy liberal bourgeois scum. I wrote that down and then, cause I thought like, <laughs> I thought that they were going for, you know, like the, the, they need to have a polar opposite of Brian Mills who lives in a little apartment and you know, he's, yeah. he's just, he's very dedicated and he does the things that he's supposed to do and he was in service of his country and all that shit. It's like the flip side is like, you know, some ostentatious rich blowhard. And I wrote down like, ah, I see. These are like the, the mirror image, the liberal bourgeois scum that we can all think like, oh, you know, they're up there in their ivory towers. And I thought, ooh, subtext until in the next scene when he says it out loud in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> you live in your little bubble. I thought they were going for something really cool with the uh, one man facing the harsh realities of protecting his family. Mm. And like you mentioned Deathwish before, and he's not, I can't remember if Bronson is like trained or is he just a, an ordinary guy. No, he's an architect. Uh, yeah. He's an architect. He's a vigilante. Right? So that's very similar yeah. to um, Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, which could have been a, a better way for this. You know, he's, I think mm. he's a professor. Dustin Hoffman and he's not trained he's not a, an agent of any kind he's not a born or a bond um but this film just feels like it's an excuse for for action you know that there's yeah. they're not going to explore that I think in some of the interviews with Neeson he talks about this idea of one man protecting his family and what what an average guy will go to to uh to do those things but with that with that training it makes it a different kind of premise it doesn't quite fit the mold of it. Uh, can I talk about when Holly Valance uh, steps into the picture? So Brian Mills Neighbors after his mate. Yeah, indeed. Well, I, I used to very much have a thing for, for old Holly. Um, but the, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the best mates come round. And again, now, Patrick, you've told me that maybe some of this is lost in translation stuff. The fact that they're barbecuing just reeks of just americana doesn't it just like well what yeah, do what yeah. do blokes do in america well, don't, well, they don't they turn up on the doorstep like holding a six pack of beer yeah it's exactly yeah, like, yeah. The, like the truman show hey yeah. buddy <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly and the truman show is doing that because it is stereotypical <laughs> and nonsense but anyway when they they're there really to kind of one have a go at him for being retired and two I think one of them, one of the actors who I recognize from just in the nineties, he was in everything, Alien Resurrection Seven. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's just, he's that, he's that guy, um, actor. He sort of says, Hey, got a security detail, $2,000. And, and again, the line is like, she's what, 25 and she's sold, she's sold 20 million records already. Can't sing a dart. <laughs> and it's just like, she's it's not, just she's some, pop, like some pop diva. And then you call her, she's more of a cash cow. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really deadpan stuff that niece is doing in this film what one is when he's sees Stuart at the birthday party and Stuart says Stuart is the father-in-law he says to him good to see you Brian 
And he just deadpan goes, you too. <laughs> but then when his mate, uh, Sam here offers him the job and he goes, all right. He goes, all right. All right. You're, you're in. Yeah. Why not? And he goes, it'll just, just, it'll be just like old times. Better. No one gets killed. A singer. I don't know if you call her a singer exactly. More like a cash cow. 20 million records this girl sold already and she's not even 25. Job's a piece of cake, Bri. All we got to do is get her there and take her back. Inside the hall, they got their own people. Okay. Okay? okay. Yeah. Like that's it? Yeah. Okay, it'll be perfect, just like old times. Better. No one gets killed. This lost in translation idea, it, there's, there's a couple in there. There's one where he says, and with whom? And no, no one really does that. And there's another one where he goes, I'm not attending. I'm not attending. No one says I'm not attending. Like, it's like oh. I'm not going, or I won't be there, or something. Who, who wrote it? Does anyone know? So it was the, it was uh, Luke Besson, and he co-wrote with yeah. uh, an English language. Mark Rob, uh, Robert Mark Kamen, his name is. I'm going to look him up really quickly. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It rings as just untrue. Oh, he's, a, like, he's an older guy. He was born in 1947. Yeah. Karate uh, Kid, Devlin. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, he wrote he wrote the Karate oh Kid, uh, Transporter. And then one, I think once he's done the Taken series, he just quits Hollywood and uh, now owns a vineyard. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had Patrick, a little look at him. You are going to love this. You know what he wrote? 1992's Gladiator starring yes, Cuba Gooding Jr. and James Beats. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's right. Because <laughs> one of the things that I couldn't get my head around is that his mate even says like, oh, they've got their own security. We just need to get her from the car to inside. I was like... Well, that seems like an awful Which, waste of money. Like, they sense. just uh, got more yeah, more security. They don't well. even they don't make they, he doesn't mention for for a bunch of guys who are all professional. They don't mention that this pop star may have death threats because if that had been planted, then I could believe that there is a rogue mm. knifeman yeah. waiting in the in the wing as, yeah. as Brian Mills takes her out, yeah. and then <laughs> doesn't someone just open a gate? And he's like, "Who opened that gate?" <laughs> 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 And he keeps shouting to Brian Mills, Brian, you got the girls, get her. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an excuse to show off how bad he is though, isn't it? Because there's a, there's a man with a knife out of yeah. nowhere and he fucks him up. He does. And it gives you a, a glimpse into the, the style of the action, which is going to be fast cuts. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what's going on. But, but what ends up happening is Liam Neeson wins and someone, someone is dead. <laughs> that is it. You talked about the violence before. There, there's, it's not a very visually violent film. I can't remember what rating it was. Patrick, did you? 18. Did you it was an 18. Well, yeah. it, it's not really a, a visually violent film. Like the, it's, it's usually sound and, and music as the, as a smoke yeah. screen. I don't, I don't really see much blood or, uh, when, when Seagal breaks an arm, you can see it. Uh, or when, you know, v Paul Verhoeven directed it, it'd be a bloodbath, you know. But. Yeah, it's surprisingly bloodless for uh, for that rating. Like, the, the people that just drop dead as if it were uh, hot shots, where there's no bullets, there's nothing, they just fall to the ground. But I think it's more to do with... There's Amanda's OD to death. She's got mm. track marks on her arms. There's a girl that yeah. takes... Back. The trafficking and the drugs, yeah, more so. Yeah, the yeah, you're right. That's where the ratings coming in, but it's not for the violence. I don't think it's pretty tame. It's like TV violence to me. It didn't really uh, move me at all. It didn't really. No, it plays. It plays like Twenty Four. Twenty Four does a similar thing where yeah. there's loads of gun, loads of shootouts, loads of car chases, but it's not. You don't see people like burn up, or you don't see people get riddled. Yeah, that's with true. Nobody sort of gets on fire. That's bullshit, man. You can't make a uh, 14 rated action film. <laughs> And not have a dude on fire. Gully, like, 
one of your points is how people like this film so much. And those people that say it's a really great film, they do note that it's violent and that it's quite shocking violence. I've heard people say it. You know, this is something they talk about, the action. There's a channel out here in Korea called Super Action. And it it kind of, uh, it has images like on on the top uh, corners of the screen, you know, telling you what you're watching and saying it's kind of like 007, it's kind of like Bourne. And uh, they blur out the cigarettes and they blur out the blood. And they, I'm sure they heavily edit things, but it plays all day long. So anyone can can watch it. And it, it felt like one of those films to me that, that, that pops up on that channel uh, that you can kind of dip in and dip out of. It's it's not really an intellectual piece and it's for people who can spare an hour and a half and just kind of enjoy uh, being in this world for a while, a bit of escapist action, but really nothing nothing much deeper than that. Patrick, can I go back to the scene you were talking about just before we move on in the story? Because it it feeds into my theory on Brian Mills I think he's like a walk-in contradiction. So he's diligent to the point of obsession. He's got utter disregard, though, for human life and due process. Hmm. So when he's in the when he's in the room with Holly Valance, who he's never actually met yet, he's not even spoken to her. The fact that he just thinks of the security guy that he can just stop her yeah. just before she's about to go on stage and say, "Excuse me, miss, my daughter's uh, thinking about being a singer." Any any tips? It's like, wait, Brian, you know that that wouldn't be a thing. That is like breaking all yeah. sorts of protocol for a story guy. But then that feeds into later on going into going to France and fucking things <laughs> up. Like he must know that that can't. That's not he, the way to Brian do. Brian Mills does not give a fuck about anything apart from his daughter. Yeah, it, it absolutely doesn't. His professionalism in in dealing with the people that he's looking after as a security guard with a very famous pop star. He's a he's a daughter guy, and he needs to know whether she can be a singer. So Maggie Grace does a stupid run in the airport, and she's off to Paris. <laughs> Third stupid run in, in three scenes. She also gets through a metal detector wearing a studded jacket. I don't know how that works. And then <laughs> Patrick, uh, that, that jacket that jacket would be worn by a three year old. Like it's outrageous. He is, he is bedazzled. If uh, I used to work in, well, I mean, I still work in in TV advertising. When I used to work for like Nickelodeon, that's the kind of shit that we would hawk to kids on Nick Junior, which is like <laughs> it's a bunch of plastic press studs that you put into your clothes yourself. And is it? Yeah, it's for eight year olds. I think that's it's an innocent shorthand, though, isn't it? It's it's something to read very quickly as her jacket, and somebody yes. has thought about that. But probably for about five seconds, yeah, and then gone. We'll recognise that it's bedazzled. Put it in. Thing is, like, I mean, okay, I know we 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 do this sometimes, but right, what if because she's seventeen and she's supposed to be trying to go off to France and she started lying to him and stuff? What if she was a little bit rebellious and maybe a little bit of a stereotypical punk kid? Then you could have a jacket Mm -hmm. with punk bands written on it, and that she'd be going to Europe to see, I don't know. A famous punk band, R- Rancid, a Rancid Stiltorian? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. Ramstein? Yeah, okay, yeah, she's a metalhead. There you go. Done. And, and it would mean that it's Europe. There you go. There's a reason for her to go to Europe. There you go. And it would, she'd be more rebellious because of the punk rock thing. It would, exactly. Yeah, she goes off to Paris with Amanda, the 19 year old who we all unfortunately forget about amanda very quickly uh, but but she's like so amanda plays the teenage better even you know she's like a little bit more sort of seems sexually liberated and that is a very important fact in this film is that maggie grace 
is pure. And Amanda, and Amanda, by contrast, is not. If this were a horror film, then Amanda's demise fits the yep. trope perfectly. She is the slutty blonde who is going to yep. get it because she has broken all That's of the rules. a lesson to and us Maggie all. Gray, a lesson to us all, indeed. And Maggie Grace is the, you know, the virginal, you know, pure soul that must be saved by the end of it. And it fed into what I think may be subconsciously why people react so uh, viscerally to Brian Mills and his uh, his mission to save his daughter's virginity. Because <laughs> 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 he literally just runs through. And, and this is why you cast Maggie Grace 25, right? Because later on, she's definitely sexualized in the one scene where you don't want to see an underage girl in a bikini. They do it in the mm. film, right? When she's just... It's like Jurassic Park, The Fallen Kingdom, with people just trying to buy, instead of dinosaurs, it's women uh, with the little buzzers. What One thing I love about Brian is he's, he's very sceptical. He makes a big point. He doesn't want Kimmy to go to Europe because I know the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's very worried about his daughter's safety. And he gives her conditions. You've got to ring me when you get there. And she gets to Paris. And the first person her and Amanda meet is Peter. Yeah, the f- taxi here is so damn expensive. Want to share? The first um, person is important to know that this is literally the first interaction she has in Paris. <laughs> yeah. Peter takes them to their apartment. It's the whole fifth floor, Hoffman. <laughs> um, and says, She's oh, there is a party idiot. tonight. Want to come? <laughs> <laughs> Amanda thinks she's going to sleep with him. But it's, I, I do love this economical writing that is Brian is worried about something and the thing that he's worried about happens within an hour of <laughs> arriving in Europe. But it's, let's talk about the iconic phone call mm. because I, I genuinely, every time I watch this, I kind of forget because the rest of the film I'm kind of laughing at quite a lot and don't take overly seriously, but I do think this is quite an effective uh, kidnapping and I, I like how it cuts from her being dragged under the bed and screaming to just Neeson's face because he does a lot of work with his face here. And he, uh, I think this is where his credibility as an actor comes in because he sells it a lot and he looks distraught and very upset. And it's a very, very dark moment. I, mm-hmm. think. I think this is probably the reason why this film has kind of persisted so much, right? Like, it's a good scene. Yeah, it is. Even, even though the speech has been completely parodied to death and, 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 it's, and it's kind of ridiculous. It still plays. This is the one where I actually got a bit of a chill when, when I had a bit of a shiver when they kidnapped Amanda, first of all, and she's watching through the window and then all the stuff under the bed. And I'm going back to the goggle box bit. That was the one that gripped all of those, the people watching it. And it's, uh, it's kind of an underpinning of everything that goes on. And if, even if everything else is kind of mediocre, that scene that, that grips you, um, is enough to get you in. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. Good luck. 
Yeah, I think I think it's very good. I I big fan of this scene, and it's again Brian showing his skill. Well, I, this is the line that I think is I love how he says he's got a I've got a very particular set of skills, which um <laughs> they like everyone likes to quote that bit. For whatever we say about Taken, this is why you get Liam Neeson, isn't it? Because if this is Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. doing this line, then it is. I mean, you don't take it seriously. <laughs> it becomes a meme. For all the other reasons that it this yeah. that later become team worthy and, and iconic, because this is where you get yeah. someone with gravitas with status. Because you're right, he, he doesn't do very much acting in this Neeson, but this is the scene where he turns up and he's like, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, Big time. I'll sell this. Where do you this think genuinely um, that'll be the end of it? Where do you think that came from? Because that sounds like him. That'll be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think, think it, they wrote his accent that. slips a couple of times in um, this. I, I think he's uh, he's improv based on whatever they've written or they they've kind of workshopped it in a room somewhere, and that'll be the end of it. I just can't imagine them writing those those words. I can imagine him saying Maybe. that in an interview. So I I think he's kind of had a had a uh, a part in it because when he gets on the plane chartered to Paris. He he's listening to the recording back over because I do like that Brian. You know, we see his skills there. He gets the recording equipment out, records it, sends it to Sam to analyze, and he gets the details of what's happening. But my brother and I, we always joke that that entire flight to Paris is what uh, twelve hours from LA to Paris. Where we just said that that entire twelve hours, he just spends on the plane just rewinding <laughs> that one line and playing it back to himself. So for twelve hours. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> we had the great line with Stuart as well, Gally, don't we? When he goes to his house and demands a, a flight an hour ago. This is not a mastering podcast. I mentioned before about Amanda being a bit of a being a bit of almost like a horror staple kind of stock character, you know, the slutty blonde who is going to get killed. Uh, this scene is the one that I think preys on the worst instincts in humans i think which is why i it's my theory as to why this film has been so successful because if you were to take if you were to look at taken as a horror film let's say this would be your primal fear which is your fear of of the other Mm. of others foreigners whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know and if you're american and even in britain there is this inherent kind of fear when you go to certain countries certain cultures now i've been to paris and i did not get Took. But you know, there is that Bacon, whole Gally. idea. What, no, I was, say the title, Gally. Gally. Come on. Okay, I was not taken. But <laughs> I did. I did see a big shit on a double decker train, though. <laughs> when I went to Prague, I saw a man kick out a turd out the bottom of his jeans. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Like you say, it's exactly that. It's like primal, kind of like worst base instincts of. Of you know xenophobia. Do you think the film then takes some sort of influence from? I think it was two, three, four years before this, uh, the film Hostel, the, the Eli Roth mm. film, which was really infamous at the time for putting the shits at people for travelling and backpacking across Europe. But you're right, yeah, maybe that does speak to um, to that whole American privilege travelling. But actually, be warned, people are out there to get you. I think you're probably right because there is a there is a torture scene in this, and there's there's yeah. no doubt we can't. You can't talk about Taken and Hostel and all these films in the in the sort of early 2000s without looking at what was going on in the world, which is the Iraq mm-hmm. War. We then have uh, sort of the Abu Ghraib stuff, the torture stuff that goes on with the American mm-hmm. military. And I think that's reflected in this story a little bit. 
but they don't really want yeah. to dwell on it. It's just it's, it's there for for kind of entertainment purposes, not really to dig deeper. That happens in Bond a lot, doesn't it? With whatever's going on politically, they kind of take the bad guys from mm, from there, yeah. whether they're Russian or whatever it may be. But yeah, for this one, it, I, I didn't really make that connection because I guess it was because they're specifically Albanian. Well, that felt that felt purposeful to me, though, Matt. Yeah. It's like you would you would think about it. So Hollywood's got like a rogues gallery of villains that they can normally go to. We've had we've had the Russians, we've had Muslims, we've had you know Asian villains in the eighties. You know the Japanese because they're taking over all yeah. our corporations. I just felt like they went, right, who can we pick in Europe they where no East one will know where that country is? And they just went, well, no one knows where Albania is, yeah. do they? So let's just do that. And actually, also, no, this is just from um, anecdotal, but my family live in Athens, or my Greek side of the family do. And in the early 2000s, there was a big influx of Albanian uh, sort of mafiosa types. Um, and oh. it was a big thing in Greece where... They really do, and they still do harbor some ill feeling towards Albanians in Greece because of the elements of crime that they brought into it. So I do wonder if they they just sort of went, well, no one really knows Albania. But they, I mean, because this is a French production, and and like you say, there is a a certain kind of undercurrent of just a sort of generalized distrust of Albania in a lot of, like, mainland European countries. I remember hearing, yeah, I remember hearing the same thing from, you know, being on holiday in Greece and stuff. People would just refer to the Albanians. It's pretty gross. It is pretty gross. And interestingly, um, just in researching the film, uh, the Albanian Tourist Board last year released a uh, a tourist video called Be Taken Brilliant. by Albania. Uh, <laughs> which is on YouTube where all the yes. Albanians in it. Talking about all the all the magical places in the country, and they keep referring to Liam. They keep saying, "Liam, no. come visit the mountain." <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! I, I thought that was really quite clever and funny, and I watched it. It's only about two minutes long. I'll link it to the show notes. Although it's not Middle Eastern, how do you think they they kind of came up with Albania? You just think they picked it because it's it's an unknown kind of kind of area. When when you when you get to the to the end of the film, of course, you find out that the big bad, the bad behind the bad. Is the uh, the the Arab Sheikh? Ah, so it ultimately comes it's like back the to that. Big yeah. bad though, is he? The big bad is Sinclair, really? Yeah, it's Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, he's Muslim <laughs> <laughs> Marlon Brando. But no, but Patrick, he's the last person to get dispensed. Yeah, and if fine, fine. You look at the way that Brian Mills goes through it. He starts at street level with the trafficking, and it goes all the way up, and it's, yeah. he takes down an yeah. entire system. In it's, it's like everyone everyone has someone else to answer to all the way down. So it's like, you know, the, the, the henchmen are just there to be killed because, you know, they're operating on behalf of whoever, the, the top guy in the Albanian gang and then the Albanian gang. They're, they're answering to the, the, the French authorities when he comes around and he, you know, starts trying to goose them for, for more money. So it means that, you know, the, uh, the, the yeah, it's a phrase. I made well, it up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it very much. <laughs> uh, and then you know, so then you then you get to Saint Clair, and then you go above. Uh, oh, so you got the, the French authorities who are compromised, and you got Saint Clair, who's the the rich guy who's selling all these people off, and then he's selling them off yeah. to a rogues ga- a rogues gallery of of barely glimpsed, dimly lit foreign people. Of, of very, there is definitely some East Asian people in there as well, and of course Arab 
What, what I love it. about the whole plot and Brian Mills's journey on this, though, just skipping well ahead, he <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck about bringing anyone else down. You know, like yeah. he doesn't give a fuck about like justice for these criminals or reporting them or anything. He just <laughs> he just kills, gets his daughter out and leaves, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is crazy to think that at the end um, the second one taken two takes that to another extreme where she's chucking the grenades randomly into the into the street yeah but then he has um, a car <laughs> then he has a car chase through the streets and crashes through the barrier at the u.s embassy who don't shoot at him they don't know who he is uh, it, yeah mental mm. well some of the some of the things when watching this first one that really did kind of sort of puzzle me a little bit was just the complete lack of consequence for Brian yeah. Mills's actions. And it's almost like they realized, okay, well in the second one we need to have we need to have those consequences. And that's the whole plot of the second one, isn't it? That the he takes out all these people. I think he kills thirty five people. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and that's the retribution then comes back and there is some consequence of his actions. But in this first one, if you were to just look at the, the first one, which they definitely didn't think was going to be this huge success, no. the, he's so single-minded and there is so little, like, he would not get back into America. He's just caused a big incident in Paris. <laughs> but, but, it's mad. You know, it's, it's the way he, skilled, like, abandons Amanda and, uh, you know, the girl who gets information from for the Rue de Paradis. I always wonder what happened to her. Did he just leave her there? Did he take her back to the brothel? Like, I'm done with her. There you go. Have her back. All the girls in the brothel where he took her from, he just left chained up, didn't free them. Uh, it's bizarre. Some of the, um, some of his actions in this movie yeah. is so single minded. Is Brian Mills a good person to anyone else apart from his daughter? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> We're back with Peter at the airport. Now, there's a little moment Peter has when his spotter shows him a blonde girl that gets off a plane. Mm -hmm. Peter has a little moment there, doesn't he? Like, oh, not again. But it's such a waste of time, that, because he gives the same spiel with a blonde girl and Brian Mills has found him. Oh, wait, I've skipped over a whole how lot do, of... How does Brian Mills find him, How does Patrick? he find him through the most ridiculous... He... <laughs> oh, so he tracks... Oh, God, yeah, he's, there's he's, so much to talk the, about. So he finds, he finds the SD card... From the phone. Not only did he find you know, it, he gets into the apartment by holding a bag with a baguette and saying, no, <laughs> no, Steve. <laughs> when she lets him in the door, finds the SIM card, retracing, uh, uh, Kimmy's steps. Go on, Dev, to explain how he gets this image, please. <laughs> well, I mean, so it's, it's your classic. It's your, as you said, girls, <laughs> it's, it's your classic 24 enhance. Um, except that instead of taking it to a lab with lots of science equipment and people with glasses looking really serious, he takes it to a fucking photo booth in <laughs> what looks to be a, a mall. And then just, he presses zoom, 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 and then a button called process. And he manages to get a perfect image of him reflected in the, the, the advertising billboard. sign on a bus stop, which looks like it must be at least 50 meters away. <laughs> it, it must be noted, Devlin, that this was the same year that the Apple iPhone came out. So there is no way with the phones that he was using... <laughs> That he would get that image, yeah. so crystal. But okay, yeah. he was wearing that mustard leather jacket, which was obviously quite, quite, yeah, it's quite, it's quite striking, <laughs> isn't it? It's easy to recognize. But I want to, I want to get into some of my favorite sort of Brian Mills fucking up Paris scenes. So when he gets there and he finds Peter, 
I love the way that um, his, his, his spotter gets judo chopped in the neck. Oh, one of many so judo good. chops. And then we've already talked about him chasing him uphill, which just looks like Liam Neeson really struggling to do some jogging. And the, way, the way that that Peter guy jumps off, he jumps off like a highway onto a road, and it's classic blood splatter. Well, he doesn't vehicle, blood splatter, does he? Which is clearly yeah, on top of a vehicle. Yeah. Then, then looks up as like... It's it's almost like you know uh, in a cartoon when they would normally get their cap off and just wave it because yeah. they've escaped. And then he just gets moved <laughs> down. And Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson's reaction is just, oh shit, oh no. He <laughs> just he just walks off, and the way he walks off again, the editing in this film, I've not talked about it uh, as, as like attributed it to anybody, but it's very Michael Bay action because he just yeah. walks off, and they edit using like some sort of sun flare effect. For no reason. Yeah, but yeah. For Not no only reason. It's awful. They just didn't know. They didn't know how to transition to the next scene because they know it's got <laughs> nothing to do with what's happening now. Not only did he walk off, he walks off in slow motion. And he also walks off in slow motion alongside the traffic that he's just caused <laughs> without <laughs> apparent... We, we've established that people are chasing him as well because the taxi drivers run off. But he just walks. And the traffic... Back there, the direction and... he came <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so good. And then we're introduced to uh, our next stereotypical character, Jean-Claude Francais. Uh, well, I don't know what his Olivia second name Oh, well, uh. a very, yeah, a good actor, Patrick, right? But um, He's a very he good actor. Play... If, if you've not seen Of Gods and Men, I highly recommend it. He, he is wonderful in that film. Um, and he's Jean-Claude. In here, <laughs> in, in this film, he's playing, he's playing Fran- French Francais Francois. And he is just like Mr. He's French. playing the French Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Well, he is <laughs> the French Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I do like that this scene takes place, though, with the Arc de Triomphe in the background. Just get that landmark in there. Yep. I, lo- yeah. I love the that. landmarks yeah. are plenty, aren't they? Brian, you cannot just run around tearing down Paris. Jean-Claude, I will tear down the Eiffel Tower if I have to. Don't forget who you're talking to. I thought I was talking to a friend. You are. But please remember, your friend has a desk now. Deputy Director, Internal Security. Very impressive. The Albanians. They showed up from the East six, seven years ago. Fifteen, twenty of them. Now there are hundreds. We don't even know how many. And dangerous. So I heard. Where do I find them? The best place to start is Port de Clichy. Brian, try not to make a mess. And I love, I love the little story Jean-Claude says as well. The Albanians, they came from the East. One, just a few of them. Now there's hundreds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just splitting like uh, like single cell creatures. They're just. Kind of... <laughs> and then he tells Brian to try not to make a mess as well. <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional, but this is the funniest scene in the film. When he when he goes to harass the the sex workers who are all just casually uh, on this one street, which seems quite busy. There's lots of tourists in the background. It's so public. And Brian Mills, he harasses one of them, and it is. I mean, it, Liam Neeson doing this was like Arnold doing it. It was so funny to me. Looking for a date? Love your dress. Is that silk? I don't know. You want to know the prices? Just the way it falls. It must be silk. How it complements the natural curves of your body. The rate is 40 euros for the standard. 
standard. Could, could you be more specific? Because back home, the standard covers a whole range of possibilities. Like kissing, you know, closed lips, open lips. Listen, you're not buying yourself. No, 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 no. I didn't say I wasn't buying. I just like to get comfortable before I purchase. Like this karaoke machine I bought. I must have read that manual from cover to cover so many times. I don't give a shit about your karaoke machine, okay? You're going to get me in trouble if you don't buy. Trouble? Really? With who? What is dialogue? He's so, like... The standard? Could, what, what does that mean? Back home, a standard covers all sorts of things. Like, does it mean? Does it mean open-mouthed kissing? <laughs> <laughs> Again, the dialogue is like bizarre and a bit weird. It's just, I think you know. Sometimes I overthink things, like when I wanted to get a karaoke machine. <laughs> Let's bring that fucking stellar piece of plot back. We talked about Brian Mills and his skills. But his skills seem pretty much what I would do if I didn't know how to speak Albanian. <laughs> I'll just get some some interpreter that I paid for from a probably an advert in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And he just puts him in a car, and it's like he's he's now they are now slagging you off. <laughs> They're saying what a douchebag you are. <laughs> I don't think you want to hear this. I was I was laughing my head off. I was just honestly, the Liam Neeson, his face is so dedicated, and he's so like in the moment. I was like, this this is unintentionally hysterical you talk about his skills later on when he's having a conversation with jean-claude on the phone let's not forget that somehow he's put a phone on another rooftop a dial-up phone next to a micro uh, next to a walkie-talkie <laughs> and he's on another roof speaking through it now you'd have to dial that phone and run to the other roof in order for that to work how the hell did he do that all this feels very influenced by the Bourne films especially supremacy and ultimatum you know, the, the the whole one person using sort of kind of not using like high tech bond gadgets, but actually just thinking outside of the box, you know, like how Bourne, Bourne uses a book to beat the shit out of someone. Brian Mills uses a walkie talkie and a phone and then runs to another rooftop. It's not quite the same because it doesn't have the same effect in my eyes. Brian Mills seems a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit of a cheaper James. Jason Bourne, but that's the effect they're going for, isn't it? That this guy is so clever mm. that he can just outwit people with a walkie-talkie. Bourne identity is certainly an influence on this. You know, even that yeah. place a bit in Paris, and it's his fighting. I think his fighting style is taken from the Bourne series as well, and, and the documentary style coverage of like Greengrass. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the shooting style where you just don't. Uh, uh, the only difference is that I felt like in say Supremacy and certainly in Ultimatum, which I think is the the the, the best of the Bourne films. Orientation. I kind of know where I'm at in the scene. Yeah. Uh, I, I think about like the fight scene in the. Uh, in the shower in Morocco, which is all frenetic camera work that Greengrass is employing. But I know where they are in the space. In this film, when we get to the first shootout, I will say that for those people that think that this is a great action film, I do not agree. I think the the shootout in particular is garbage. And then there's a car chase at, um, around like what looks like a building site. I have no idea who's in what car and who is shooting at what. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just shooting. It's just someone, uh, shooting off screen. But when he gets to the construction site, let me ask you boys this. Would you queue up for a brothel in the middle of a construction site there <laughs> with some up girls in there that looked fucking horrible? Like, God love them. They're obviously not there for their own devices. They've been forced, but it's not an attractive prospect there and paying sex then well i guess i guess this speaks to this speaks to whether or not the film is trying to actually say something serious about trafficking people or whether or not they're just using it as 
well, look what he has to get his daughter out of. Yeah, because they I don't really, they don't really give a monkeys about any of the girls, including Brian Mills. Like you said, when he gets the one, when he finds the one with the jacket, and he just takes her. He only takes her because of the jacket. The I, I think there was one, one of the girls runs out of the tent and just gets mowed down by and gets caught in crossfire. Like the film doesn't give a monkeys about sex trafficking really that it's just used as a as another device to scare the audience into listen let's not go anywhere let's yeah. holiday well, in it's Hawaii. Also, it's like yeah imagine the worst case scenario for what you think like if you're a guy who's weirdly into your daughter like what's the worst thing you could imagine happening and that this is it no fat on it at all it, it's almost like a connect the dots piece and everything that happens advances the story and it seems like they've, th- that sounds like praise almost like from a screenwriting point of view, but there's no uh, heart behind it. And it, it's like a by the book, play by play textbook of action. And I, the, if there was more of a fresh take on it, I think I would have more sympathy with it. But it, it, uh, in terms of how it's shot, I do think the Greengrass thing had, had a huge huge influence on it can we talk about the the second well my second laugh out loud scene which is when he he commandeers uh jean-claude francais uh home when he comes back with a baguette because obviously oh. he needs a baguette for dinner <laughs> and brian mill <laughs> brian mills has brought you a hilariously large baguette for dinner <laughs> <laughs> brian mills has connected the dots and thinks that the french uh secret service are in cahoots with the albanian gang and there's something you know he's he's, he's discovering new things every minute because we have not talked about the arbitrary 96 hours but this is all on a ticking time you know there's a clock that's ticking by and I just love the way that the wife is so nice. And then what happened? What, what that makes what happens to it just the funniest thing I've ever seen. She's like, "Oh, Brian's thinking about buying in France." He's like, "Yes, yes, I am thinking." What's it? This is not the time or place, Brian. Are you involved? Involved in what? What are you two talking about? Are you? My salary is X. My expenses are Y. As long as my family is provided for, I do not care where the difference comes from. That is my entire involvement. What about my family? I told you I would help you as long as it didn't cause trouble for me. Who is Patrice Sinclair? I don't know. I don't care. I am driving you to the airport. Tais-toi, Isabelle. Tais-toi! Let's get going. Dinner is over. I'm not finished yet. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. That's what happens when you sit behind a desk. You forget things, like the weight in the hand of a gun that's loaded and one that's not. It's a flesh wound. But if you don't get me what I need, the last thing you'll see before I make your children orphans is the bullet I put between her eyes. Now, Patrice Sinclair. I wasn't expecting that one at all. I, I, no, there, there's, there's nothing that prepares you for that. When, when, but but then I kind of enjoyed it, and she's done nothing to deserve that at all. But when he did it, I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> go on." <laughs> so Brian Mills just just shoots her, shoots her in the arm, and then I love it. It's like Last Action Hero. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> the, ne- the next one will go between her eyes. Yeah, that's where he's acting slips again because he goes, "They're going to follow between our eyes." Where <laughs> 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 he turns up with a baguette, like nine. Yeah. <laughs> Like they would never ever 
dare eat dinner without French stick to dip. It's like 16 inches long, for fuck's sake. Oh, my God. <laughs> you didn't even know that, that Brian Mills was going to be there. That means that him and his wife were going to knock off eight inches of baguette. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it all speaks to, like, the popularity of the film. It's like that people either... And again, is it Liam Neeson, the, the statuesque, gravitas, serious actor... Is he doing all of the work for us whereby we just dismiss this as like, well, all the nonsense. It's fine because Liam Neeson would never do a an, an exploitation B-movie film. Mm. This must be high, high art, you know? This must be prestigious. This is true. That's what they must be thinking. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He lends the credibility that would have otherwise not been there if it was Statham or someone else, you know? That he tortures Marco. I knew you were yeah. fucker. <laughs> I think this is quite a brutal yeah. torture, especially the, the actor playing Marco. The way he strains his neck muscles, it looks horrible. Yeah, I know he does a good job of selling how painful it would be to be light bulbed. But it's just, um, again, it, feel, it felt very kind of of peace at the time. You it's, know, torture yeah, was on everyone's it's very, mind. It's very mid-2000s. It's also a very mid-2000s thing to do to just assume that torture is actually is actually efficient, actually, and does work, so... Yeah, it's only probably when we get zero dark thirty that we start to question how how sort of successful torturing someone is. But in this film, it's very because he just gives up the ghost, doesn't he? It's the it's the Frenchman Jean Jean Chocolate Eclair. <laughs> Chocolate Eclair. <laughs> I thought his name was Tartar when he like like tartar sauce. Something. <laughs> oh, anything any that's French, mate. Anything that's French. I don't know why he said it. I was surprised that he wasn't like the super big bad because he's given about two minutes of screen time and is dispensed with a bit like Amanda. I thought he would have been the big, big bad. It was surprising to me that, uh, that Chocolate Eclair came and went so quickly because now we're, now we're into the CD world of sort of sex trafficking and there is a whole auction with, mm. and that's where we get a glimpse of the, the Muslims and the East Asian population no americans i hope i hope you may have noted that there was no like texan that was amongst <laughs> some of the bidders oh they should have they should have been like the 10 gallon hat like <laughs> dickhead blowhard texan possibly with two silver six guns like the rich texan from the simpsons yeah exactly they they missed a trick on that one but liam neeson has, has basically infiltrated a full-blown kind of conspiracy yeah. within paris about trafficking and they're selling women and it, it's like a couple of, like a hundred thousand dollars for Half a, a mil, for a girl. his daughter goes for. Half a mil, yeah. Well, she's pure, right? I mean, I mean in that's... a weird way, he's got to be proud of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> Girls paraded though as well. Talk about the aesthetic. Like, their hair's all, lang- you know, like not done up and they're in these bikinis. I don't understand why they weren't, oh, it's going to sound weird. Why they weren't made up, you know, why their hair wasn't done, why they weren't presented as glamorous girls, with their hair's just falling down their side. I guess, and... I guess it speaks to it not being, uh, of their, uh, their choice, maybe Patrick, that they are under duress. Well, I, I get, I get Patrick's thing though, that like, yeah, if, if you're gonna have any kind of verisimilitude to this whatsoever, and this is supposed to be the high end multi-millionaire high roller yeah. auction of human beings, like, why you would send them out there with, you know, all fucked up lank hair and stuff. Like, how does he get, how does he get on the boat? Does he 
Does he die hard with a vengeance? It does he just jump on? Yeah, he, he, oh, he jumps onto the boat and he does a forward roll and immediately pops up and punches someone in the face in the same move. <laughs> yes. I notice he just leaves the gun next to him with his fingerprints on. Doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> no, no, well, he doesn't care, does he? He's Brian Mills. He doesn't have fingerprints. He's probably like um, Spacey in Seven. He just cuts them off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and when he's on that boat, I mean, he just takes people out quite easy. And then we have like the sub boss, which is the very very lean guy with the eye makeup. Why do they give him the eye makeup? I assume they give him the eye makeup to make him look oh. more foreign. Yeah. In, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Guy Liner was a thing at the time. I think the, the Green Day yeah. American Idiot album, there, there's a lot of Guy Liner around. They did it in Prince of Persia. You remember the Jake Gyllenhaal film where they just made everyone who's Muslim wear Guy Liner, including Ben King, including Ben Kingsley. Well, I assume it does actually have some, some, I assume it does actually have some religious, uh, religious or social significance in, in certain countries across the Arab area. I don't know specifically, and I, I, I've not looked it up, but, it does seem a bit awful for them to just chuck that in there. But, you know, it's okay if this guy dies because he's not like you. But when he does take out everyone, he does actually get injured, doesn't he? Which I do like the fact that Brian Mills is not completely infallible. Like he does take, does he get shot in the, the leg yeah, or the arm is. or something? Yeah. He gets injured when yeah, he falls yeah, they... off the bridge uh, then and then he gets shot by the... The, the penultimate guy before he's onto the sub -bank. Yeah. But then we just have the Marlon Brando guy. And again, he dispenses Marlon Brando Muslim like he does French lady's arm. He just goes, like, <laughs> doesn't he say, like, I will kill her? And he just goes, I do not care. Dead. Uh, I, dead. I feel like that's really Bond-esque, isn't it? Because there's always a henchman that's more yeah. physically powerful than the actual yeah. villain. And then when Bond actually dispatches of the, the henchman, they get to the villain and, and it's almost an anticlimax in many ways when they actually mm. kill the, the kind of physically inferior main villain, the, the, the main, uh, end of level boss. Because this film doesn't have like quote unquote a, a sort of a personified villain, it just make, it just makes it even more obvious that the, the film's villain is foreign. It's just foreign. Mm, that is yeah. all. Because no one really gets a moment. Like I said, John Eclair is is shot dead straight away. <laughs> so is, He's got to John Eclair. <laughs> I was shortened nickname. Um, you know, Muslim Marlon Brando, he's come come and go. And like you say, it, it, the film is so lean. It's 0% lean fat mints, isn't it? There's, there's just no fat whatsoever. No time to, to give these people character as such. And then, and then guys, we're at the end of the film and the, the vindication scene when he's coming back from the airport and Stuart and Lenora are there and they're just like, Brian will never doubt you again. <laughs> oh, by the way, we are never leaving the US shores. <laughs> it's just, they're like, thank you, Brian. Thank you. It's like, don't worry about it. Just listen to me next time. It's it, the whole film has vindicated this viewpoint of do not go to Paris or if anything, do not ever leave your home. <laughs> it's just one of those films, isn't it? Um, it's not the final scene, is it? The final scene we get. Oh, well, yeah. And that's the final season that she's going to become a single, which in the second one, we realized just never, never went anywhere. Awful piece of end music. A meaningful piano music. Should have jammed some U2. Why wouldn't you have U2 as your final song when you've mentioned that she was a big U2 yeah, fan? Yeah, maybe even have like a female cover version of a U2 song where you could think, oh, maybe that Kim became a singer and she did a U2 cover. That would tie it in too neatly. 
Oh, I have, I have one. Sorry, I have one. Uh, it's, it's. I, I don't know why I, uh, this because Patrick, as you pointed out, where did the rest of the girls go? I don't know. Uh, how did um, the Sheikh know that Maggie Grace was the daughter? Because oh, he just yeah. he, he takes her as a hostage. It's like, how does he know which one? Unless she was in there blabbing, being like, "Ah, oh, my dad's probably here. He's going to come and get me." But you need a scene, don't you? You need a scene to illustrate that, don't you? Yeah, but then you're not going to come in at 94 minutes with credits. No. Should we do it? Should we go around the table? I mean, Patrick, we'll start with you because you're the one that has got the um, the sort of the, the 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 slightly bigger connection to the film and the franchise. Taken. Recommend it for audiences. Can you? And also, actually, can you answer why people still love it? Um, I'll give that. I'll give that a go. We've we've contemplated quite a lot. I recommend this because I recommend it as a comedy uh, nowadays um, more than anything because <laughs> this is <laughs> it's a film I really enjoy because I have a real laugh at it. Um, to answer that question before, not with it at it. I, I do think that phone call and the uh, taken abduction sequence is still quite rather affecting and really well done. And it's quite a dark moment that, that does hit home. You know, it's hit, not hit home. I don't have anything to... Um, it does hit hit you um, quite hard, <clears throat> and the rest I just really enjoy Liam Neeson's Brian Mills. How straight faced he is, how ridiculous the dialogue is, how ridiculous the acting, the editing, and how bonkers this film is. Because it, it, all the questions that we raise, uh, I enjoy raising those questions because I have a laugh at the stupidity, the absurdity of the situation. That this man can go abroad to Paris fuck shit up and come back without any consequences or care in a world. He doesn't care about anything apart from his daughter, which is supposed to make him a good <laughs> But does it really make him a good person? I don't know. But his particular set of skills I really, really enjoy. Um, I don't think it's a very good film for many reasons. Uh, like you said, Matt, you know, a, a, such a pacey punchy film that's to the point with such a lean plot should be quite a good thing for cinema and I, I don't know whether it is really but Gally I think that's some way to put uh, to your answer why people love it so much I think it's a very simple film very follow very accessible um, with a with a proper star in Liam Neeson with action that's easy to watch and kind of you can root for Brian Mills certainly and I think they are several reasons why this film is so popular um a lot of people do hide it hold it in actual high esteem of like an amazing film which it's not for me it is an amazing film because me and my brother love it so much for just having a laugh with it because it's it's stupid it's so silly um it doesn't seem like you've seen Um, it that much what do you think well I want to preface my kind of mean conclusion because I I did it with cocktail as well, didn't I? But the uh, there's a positive thing I wanted to say first, which is uh, I can relate to you, Gally, when you talk about being easily emotionally manipulated by films, even films that you wouldn't really expect to be. Uh, You know, the "you came for me" line, kind of. I don't have a heart of stone. You know, I I I didn't cry, but I was I was kind of moved by it. So that was one thing that that told me that I, I had some kind of emotional connection to the film. Um, but otherwise it was, uh, you know, I thought it played quite cheap and cliched. 
uh, and there was something very direct to video about the whole thing. Uh, it plays as a big screen B movie. And, uh, you know, the concept itself is, is gripping enough for, for most people. Um, and that's enough for them and that's fine. But I think, uh, it's too daft to be, uh, you know, and anything amazing. And, but, it, but it also doesn't, doesn't bother me to the extent that, you know, when you talk about the, the racial, you know, things that are going on in, in the context of what it became, you know, it's, it's success and it's sequels too. It's quite worrying how keenly people have taken to taken and uh, why this, why this one, why was this the one that people wanted? Um, I think it's uh, a case of if you're happy with a retread or like a regurgitation of, of what you've seen previously, perhaps on a Friday or Saturday night taken is for you. Um, uh, and Patrick's take on it is is a similar one to mine as well. I can enjoy it as a, a almost a laughing at it film and comedy, right? Exactly. But if you if you do take it seriously, which uh, I think you perhaps should, because that's how it was made. I don't think it was made tongue in cheek. Um, uh, I I know someone like I hope this doesn't sound like uh, Crichton smug mode or anything, but. Uh, I, I know someone who reviews films with either good or it was a bit weird. And I feel like this film <laughs> is for people like that, you know, who, who just put it into one of two categories. And uh, if you'll excuse the bluntness, it's kind of a simple story for simple minds, really. It, I, I feel like to, to counteract a statement like um, uh, earlier, when I said that, you know, um, it was kind of, um, it didn't have too much depth. I think that I do enjoy films like escapist comedy or escapist action um, to offset things like heavy documentaries that we might watch on Netflix or something like that. And it's kind of an antidote to serious things. But this one felt too disposable and a bit banal and not funny enough. Uh, you know, I left more at Under Siege 2 than I left at, at Taken. Um, and... I guess some, some people want something that mindlessly ticks boxes and nothing weird and nothing pretentious. Uh, I, I think uh, Neeson described it as a fast paced thriller with an emotional core. And if you do want something like that, I'd probably revisit Bond or something like that. This feels more like a TV level of, of drama. But if, if you want that 94 minute escapism, you know, there's a lot to be said about about Taken. So personally, no, I I can't quite recommend it, but I can see why it's appealing to uh, to a lot of people out there. Uh, how about you, uh, Devlin? It doesn't it doesn't work for me uh, so much. <laughs> although I did find it pretty hilarious to 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 talk about. Um, only while we were talking about it now did I actually start thinking about how um, it's as much as the uh, the racial profiling politics awkward and i can take the the horrible worldview as being like almost a parody of how i see you know people like that seeing the world you know very kind of xenophobic people um so it could work as like a, a parody of that worldview which is like oh as soon as you set foot anywhere else you are fucked and it will be other people who do it to you um i do looking back on it just just thinking about it in the last few minutes think like I'm not, I, I find it difficult to, to really 
um, lose myself in a, in a silly film that has in some cases such like a, a horrible and a harrowing few glimpsed images of something as horrible and serious as like sex trafficking, which is a total downer to bring into not just a film like this, but also a discussion about a film like this worse than a downer, obviously in real life. But uh, the film doesn't treat it with any seriousness. It treats it as a, 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 a threat, like a, an existential threat to, to, to his daughter's character. It doesn't have any empathy for the remaining victims of what's happening. And I find that, uh, uh, a sort of a continuation of the very myopic worldview that the film has. Um, mm. but I also think that the film persists because it is very propulsive. It's very persuasive. I think Liam Neeson does bring like a, uh, a gravitas to it that the others don't. When we watch a Steven Seagal, especially a late career Steven Seagal movie, it is funny because you are seeing somebody who genuinely does not give a shit about what is happening around him. Is possibly <laughs> even completely oblivious to his surroundings. <laughs> Liam Neeson is at least present. And that, 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 that sequence, the sequence on the phone, the sequence of the kidnapping and the phone call, it's, it's, it's a much parodied moment, but it's a much parodied moment that still doesn't lose the, the power that it has, which is, which is good. And even though it's only four minutes out of a 94 minute film, sometimes that's enough, you know, plenty of films have, have skated by on reputations and a lot less. So. Uh, I see why people will, will go back to it. And, and Patrick, I totally see why you would think of it as like a, a, mm. a kind of, uh, a oddly Giddy comforting joke. film. <laughs> yeah. An oddly <laughs> comforting film to go back to. Like, yeah. um, you know, uh, so yeah, not for me, but also, I don't know, watch it. Maybe I don't remember the, the, the sequels. I've seen both of them. I remember literally nothing about them. <laughs> I will say um, that when when I watch it, me and my brother are always analysing it out loud, and like it's something to shout yeah. at. Which yeah, is what I I just I really enjoy. It's like a theatre piece for me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Gally, are you uh, are you recommending that people go back and revisit Taken? Um, I, I think the film's greatest strength, and we've touched upon it. Uh, you've all touched upon it in your summaries. Is its simplicity, uh, both the plot, the mission, the characters. Um, it's real broad brush stuff. I wrote an entire almost blog piece after I watched <laughs> it because I properly overanalyzed where I tried to hypothesize whether or not the success of Taken was the first indication of popularist and protectionist policies rising amongst communities in the US and in Britain. Uh, I was thinking about was Taken responsible for the vote in the Brexit referendum? <laughs> but I, I obviously <laughs> was proper, I was, I was properly, um, yeah, that was maybe me projecting. So no, I don't think it was. Um, I think it is serviceable, functional fun that you can kind of just gravitate in, you can kind of get into and get out of and not really have too much else to think about. Uh, the, the one scene is that very one scene that, that does, um, elevate the whole, the whole piece. And it is the most memorable scene in the film and in the entire series. Um, we, you know, we've talked about that there's the grenades in two and there's the climbing offense in three. Um, that is, that is it for the series <laughs> as far as, um, as far as memorable moments. But one of the things that I think that will mean that Taken will endure is the imitators that it spawned. You think every aging white male actor with some prestige has now done a Taken 
uh, November Man, Pierce. Uh, you had Denzel, the Equalizer. Um, you've got um, what's his name? I think Nick Cage did a film called Stolen, which seems oh, a little bit yeah. too, yeah, a little bit too on the nose. Cage um, has, done, has done a few of these. Yeah, he's done a few like got a Man on a Mission movies. Um, yeah, the the the, the imitator. Oh, Sean one, Penn. Didn't he? Um, who did who? Sorry, what's the Costner one? I'll watch that. I can't believe. Oh, Costner, Three sorry, Days to Kill from the no Three Days to Kill. It was three the days same. To kill, yeah. Luke, 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 Luke Besson. Uh, again, the yeah, the company no, doing no. doing another knockoff, and you had uh, Sean Penn when he decided to get ripped and become the gunman. Yeah, they're all pretty much rubbish, um, but they're all the same kind of rubbish. So I think Taken mm. will be the one that everyone goes, "Oh no, that was that was done it right," and the rest of them have all been kind of derivative <laughs> nonsense. Um, which I'm not convinced that that is the the actual right take to have, but that is one that I think people have. Um, I will recommend it as a piece of nine, 90 minute nonsense. Um, I think if you take it seriously and you adopt the worldview, then me and you will probably not get on as people. But I think it, but <laughs> if you I, I could definitely see myself coming to yours, Gally, and watching this over a few beers and having a yeah. laugh with it. No, no, yeah. it's actually, but if you started saying, you know what? Parrot in it, dangerous. <laughs> then I'm probably, yeah, I'd ask you to leave. <laughs> Take that baguette that you just brought. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> so Taken, the first film, is actually currently not streaming on Netflix or Amazon Prime in the UK. The sequels are on Netflix, so you can get two. And no, no, three. no. Only three. Only three is on Netflix. Oh, Two's not no. on there. Okay. But um, I do know that the, the one and two are currently on rotation on um, on like E4. Um, they were on last weekend, which is where me and uh, my fiance watched them. Ah, oh, damn it! Uh, I paid money for this. Oh, <laughs> you can um, you can get it on Amazon for Devlin. Was it three ninety nine? Yeah, I bought it. It was three forty nine to rent or three ninety nine to buy. <laughs> so I bought it. So I now own Taken. Yes, on digital. You have absolutely screwed my Amazon recommendations from here on out. <laughs> the algorithm. Is that means yeah, the algorithm. next time I come to yours, we can watch it at 4am. It's, it's widely available to purchase Blu-ray, DVD. You can get the harder cut where maybe you might get a few more squibs. Who knows? Yeah, um, you yeah. know what? I don't think there's much difference, you know, in the mm. at all. I don't think any. I couldn't see anything that I thought was added in the extended harder cut, so I need I need to look into that. But um, um, no. well, there's also a TV series on Amazon no, Prime. No, don't. Prime don't. It's absolutely god awful. There's is, nothing. Is it better to than the LA Confidential TV show? Jesus. Oh, the T. Oh, we tried it, and it's it's so bad. It's it's a it's like a prequel thing. All right, then, guys. Well, it's been fun. I've enjoyed these bargain bin discussions. They are, you know, it's a shame because Matt's, you know, 0 for 2 now, cocktail and, uh, and taken. So maybe we'll get a uh, we'll recommend out of him. Um, but, yeah, we'll say our goodbyes. So uh, All I'll say is that uh, when, when normality resumes, I will be traveling Europe. Uh, following status quo, <laughs> because uh, they're the hit band of 20. 20- uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing them in guard next year. Uh, it's Kelly in Glasgow signing out. Stay safe, everyone. That's like telling water not to be wet, sweetie. <laughs> Stephen in London. No one's going to believe me as a greengrocer. This is Matt in South Korea. <laughs> um, no, Mr. Mills. Thank you. 
It's Patrick from London. Thanks very much, guys. And thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>